0: Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. I'm Bryce Yonker with Grid Forward. Today we have with us John Kretz, the CEO of RMI, Rocky Mountain Institute, as it was previously known. Uh, And uh, today's February 14th. Um, I guess it's still Happy New Year. Thanks for being with us, John. Thanks so
1: much for hosting here today, Bryce.
0: So, can you tell us a little bit about your history? I know you've been at RMI for about a decade, um, but new to the helm there at the organization. Tell us a little bit about what brought you to that role, um, and and we'll get a little bit into some of the stuff that's at the top of the agenda at RMI. But how about for you?
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm a bit of a, a reformed engineer, a recovering management consultant, and uh, you know, kind of a. a uh, an absolute uh, committed practitioner of the energy transition who made his way to RMI here after a bunch of years in the private sector. Um, you know, and since I've joined RMI, I've really helped build RMI's global presence and, and build the team really that, that can practice the think-do scale model that, that RMI really embraces to drive the energy transition fully at pace and, and really capture those benefits that we know are there from, from using clean and efficient renewables.
0: Great. Well, congratulations on taking over the role after some, some big shoes to fill that I know you were excited to work with over the years there. Um, maybe we'll start with uh, just a quick question about uh, RMI for those who aren't as familiar. Um, what's at the top of, of the list for you all right now? What are you trying to prioritize? What's a focus for for the organization there?
1: Yeah, for us at RMI, there are, there are a bunch of big things. I I think first off um, is really helping everyone understand where we are in the energy transition. Right, we see that we're we're at an inflection point. We're about ready to tip in a very significant way. The global infrastructure related uh, to clean energy. We know that that solar and wind are now cheaper in ninety five percent of the world. That that we're driving down the costs of of related technologies like uh, batteries, like heat pumps, like hydrogen at scale. And that as all of those different markets align, we're seeing just enormous opportunities emerge. um, and, And that markets will change and flip very quickly. So this whole idea of the narrative is one big understanding just to put that GPS, you know, kind of pin in place for everyone to understand that what has been you know, slow and talked about for a long time is now picking up speed and ready to flip. I think a second big thing that we're absolutely focused on is the Inflation Reduction Act, right? This is the single largest investment in climate infrastructure made anywhere in the world to date. Uh, We see it as a a massive opportunity for the United States, not just to, to help secure, you know, kind of its place in the next energy system, but also to lower the costs and increase the, the availability of all these solutions globally. And so we're we're focused on ensuring that every ounce of that opportunity is captured. And then the the third big thing that I'm I'm concerned about is, you know, I'm I'm an optimist by by nature, and I, I can see a pathway now where we can get half the world to net zero by 2050, but for half the world. It simply isn't possible, right? And we need to figure out how to bring the global South along, because if we don't all cross the finish line together, right, we've fundamentally lost as a planet. We need to have ways to, to increase the flow of capital, uh, to, to support technology transfer, to build new markets that allow for that leapfrog to happen and, and enable, you know, kind of communities in the global South to choose the energy transition that makes the most sense
0: for them. Great, great. So the ecosystem of supporting organizations that are involved in accelerating clean energy, helping along for energy transition, advancing technology and market solutions, as you know, is a very robust one. So in general, how would you say that that collaboration is going right now? You all are certainly actively involved in it. Um, is it, is it Is it a good collaboration? Where are there some areas that uh, those of us who are working in this space can really be all rowing in the same direction. What's your general thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you know this well, Bryce, but this is system transformation, right? When we talk about and think about the energy transition right now, we've got to realign our policies, we've got to realign our capital, we've got to realign all the financing structures. And that really does take everyone contributing, you know, and, and with NGOs like RMI kind of playing an important role in helping to moderate and move the system together um you know i think i think we are we are in the process right of 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 transitioning into that new system and as you would expect there are fits and starts you know as different parts of the economy align i i do think especially here in the united states that that the power of the Inflation Reduction Act, alongside, you know, kind of all the other acts that have been related, and there are really about five of them that have dramatically increased the amount of funding available, right, have, you know, they have signaled very clearly to the market the direction of travel, and are now kind of providing the stage upon which many of these collaborations are coming to fruition. And RMI is engaged, you know, kind of, in many different areas of the country working on developing and building hubs you know together across the financiers and the big uh industry players uh alongside the city councils you know to to try and take this influx of of you know capacity and turn it into real forward motion and progress with steel in the ground and that you know those are areas where uh, again we're just learning to to pass the ball differently to play as teams uh you know, in, as, as the United States kind of rebuilds the muscle of large infrastructure development and, and execution.
0: Great. Well, that tees up my next question, which was around the federal policy um, aspects. I, I, I said three home runs in 2020, 2021, and 2022. I, I think I know what two, the two others you might throw in there are, but, um, you know, we think it really got started with the Energy Act of 2020, um, the Infrastructure Investment Act. Uh, In 2021, the IRA, and in 2022, I assume you're putting chips in there and and something else. But uh, these are basically increasing levels of funding going to advancing our energy systems. And, And my question would be, what are the next few years of implementation going to look like?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Bryce. I added chips in there. I would also add, you know, kind of uh, uh, the American Rescue Plan, right—the the one that kicked it off here in terms of providing public infrastructure funds and and public transit funds. And when you add all those up together, you wind up, you know, putting roughly 110 billion dollars a year into the U.S. economy every year for the next decade into clean energy projects and clean energy development. And that's just it's a massive surge, right, compared to what we've had historically—more than five times, you know, kind of our historical levels from a decade ago. Um, and so, as we think about, you know, kind of what's in store uh, and what we need to do well, I I think about three big things, right. First, we need to make sure that we expand the markets, right. We need to make sure that these incentives actually turn into market demand and grow the the product distribution for. The, all the EVs, all the heat pumps, all the hydrogen electrolyzers, you know, all these different components that we're going to need here going forward. Um, I do so there's that element of how do we convert what is just a financial signal into real market growth and development? Secondly, there is this question around supply chain and how do we build a resilient supply chain, you know kind of uh, not just in the United States, but with amongst our partners and globally, right? That can support you know kind of all the lithium that we need all the nickel and copper and other uh metals that we'll need to to fuel the energy transition here um and and ensure that we've got that uh again that diversified support base that allows not just our economy but all economies to grow and then third you know related to that is is this is a, a great moment for jobs creation you know Fossil fuels, you get roughly two and a half jobs per million dollars invested. S- with, with renewables, you know, you get six to seven jobs. So this is fundamentally, this is a jobs, you know, kind of moment of, of creation here and an ability to repopulate and shift, you know, kind of uh, whole sectors to support now this clean energy growth is a real opportunity for us and one where we can modernize our workforce uh, and provide more good high-paying jobs to all, even as we transition to this much needed you know, kind of alternative infrastructure.
0: Great. I know that a lot of the runway of the um, infrastructure package has about five years and, and the Inflation Reduction Action Act has about 10. Um, so let's put ourselves out in the future five or 10 years from now, talking about getting the, the structures and the mechanisms in place to get these resources out there, but what sort of metrics um, are, we, are we pleased about if we've achieved, I don't know if it's a, a, mo- a monetary level, but what, what does success look like as we look out to the future with, with these resources in motion?
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we go back to the fundamental science here, Bryce, and, and say we've got to reduce our overall emissions by 50% here by the end of this decade to be on and be on track to net zero by 2050, if we really want to become climate aligned, and so those are the those are the big metrics, and we can talk about it. You know, it means that the majority of our grid needs to be decarbonized here by 2035, um, uh, because that electrification then provides the the fuel essentially for our electrified automobiles and our electrified buildings and our electrified industry to the extent that that's possible and and where we can't electrify industry we need to have electrolyzers you know kind of uh to make hydrogen and and other green molecules that allow us to to have uh you know kind of fuels that that enable our heavy transport to happen we need to create sustainable aviation fuel uh you know kind of and other uh derivatives that allow us again to have um uh, the the fuel to power our economy and we we do, we have a, an effort called Mission Possible Partnership that literally has for each one of the major categories of infrastructure, the number that we need to have in place by 2030, uh, you know, and route to net zero by 2050 of these new um, uh, uh, plants uh, of the new production capacity. But I would think in general about the grid's got to shift first and we've got to do everything possible on that front. Um, which means you know, getting the solar and wind out there, getting the storage out there in all different forms. Uh, you know, we see clear momentum right now on electric vehicles uh, and know that market can tip very quickly here. And certainly it's leading on the passenger front, but we also see ways to move heavy, uh, heavy vehicles as well, uh, as well as you know, kind of light duty and, and have more diversified uh, two and three wheeled options here going forward too. That are will be play an important and uh, and niche role in community access and ensuring again that that this great moment of uh, of uh, you know kind of freedom from fossil fuels also uh, democratizes access to mobility and affordable energy in the process,
0: right? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll do one more on the federal policy front before we go to some other topics. Um, Our audience and our work has been very close to what's been going on in the infrastructure package, uh, especially with uh, Maria and Pat's office at the New Grid Deployment Office. So uh, feel welcome to comment on that if you'd like, but I I guess I'm gonna point um, your attention towards the IRA um, and what key elements of that are in motion now? Um, Where are they? When should we expect kind of some developments?
1: yeah i mean when I think about the i r a and where it is right now there's uh you know there are things that we already know how to do right the solar tax credit um uh storage uh investment tax credit you know things like that we've already got the infrastructure in place we know how to qualify uh electric vehicles you know uh we largely know how to to manage those are all moving forward apace, right and and you know, access is either here or will be soon available, you know, kind of to large portions of the market. Where where we're building out new standards and new, uh, you know, kind of options, things like hydrogen, that's still, there's still some big rules that have to be determined on that front that are actually quite material to infrastructure uh, plans and, and expectations and returns from investors, et cetera. That's gonna lag here substantially. In between, we've got you know kind of uh, uh, some of the consumer uh, uh, electronics and and demands things like uh, electric stoves, you know, kind of heat pumps, etc. They're somewhere in the middle, right? And we hope that they'll be available by the end of this year in terms of uh, accessibility for people to to manage and apply for and gain those tax credits, right? Um, you know, and and two thirds of the the. Structure here was around incentivizing through tax credits, right? So we have to keep in mind that that's a, a big, uh, you know, kind of the big stick that was used or the big carrot that was used, I should say, by by the federal government. You know, some of the tricky areas that we're certainly monitoring and looking at are, are around, you know, the big infrastructure, the grid. Um, how exactly do we de bottleneck transmission, right? Um, and there is, you know, absolutely, uh, uh, you know, kind of a loan program embedded in there for large scale uh, transmission. There's a grant program there as well for communities that that wouldn't otherwise benefit from transmission overhead. Um, those are, uh, I think those loans and ability to to deploy will be there. I think we have to queue up the requests first. And right now we've got a real issue around, you know, kind of Plugage in the system on uh, overall, uh, uh, you know, kind of interconnections, right? Where the interconnection queue, the interconnection queue right now is, from a capacity perspective, is almost as big as the entire grid that we have currently in place, right? Um, and then we have one that's about half that size in terms of, of battery storage as well. So we're just not, we're not keeping up with. The infrastructure demand right now, in terms of having permitting processes and supporting processes that then can, you know, kind of get these projects on the fast track and and ultimately moving toward uh, FID and beyond, right? Um, and that's that is something that we, you know, need to put more attention to and and brutally bottleneck so that we can rise to the the challenge. There is no. 50% or 45% reduction in in our overall carbon emissions here by 2030 if we can't get that grid uh, expanded and permitted uh, and and constructed in a way that that supports you know kind of much higher penetrations of renewable.
0: Great. I think you covered almost all of the aspects from a grid enhancing standpoint we were we were covering. So so our vantage point tends to be a little bit closer with with the distribution utilities and the advanced tech companies that they're working with to bring new solutions to the grid, and I know this is an area that you have worked with very closely over the years, um, whether it's blockchain and virtual power. Um, so I guess I'll I'll start with the broader question before we get into the details. Um, how do you feel that the interest and real practical ability for these operators to advance these new solutions? You know, where does that land in the industry right now? Is there is there um, the commitment to to accelerate these solutions is, is that baked into the the models and operating practices of these other things realign or change um, so that these capabilities can come on and and do what they're intended to do for the system?
1: Yeah, so this is a this is an area of innovation and and, and challenge I would say for the existing system. we need to the commitment and willingness is certainly there for utilities and and you know kind of the core grid operators and 80 for instance 83 percent of the u.s customers you know today are served by a utility with a carbon reduction target or owned by a holding company with a clear carbon reduction target and so there is there's absolutely the desire to get there the the practical aspect of how to do that though um you know is is Challenging, right? Um, and that's not just because uh, it's utilities. It's challenging because it's new, right? And change, uh, and how exactly to catch up, you know, kind of our operations and approaches to integration of all these new different resources that we have um, is complex, right? And and that's something that RMI has been working on for years, helping to pilot and work alongside utilities uh, to to both learn new muscles, to, to create new regulatory structures that incentivize in the right way, to, to um, you know, practically demonstrate you know, kind of where and how uh, diverse distributed energy resources can be plugged into the system and actually create value for both customer and utility simultaneously, right? It's not, it's not easy, but it is possible. And we've showcased that again and again. Um, uh and i know you know for from our perspective the time is right to to start pulling together more of these uh distributed energy resources and to create portfolios of solutions that we we call virtual power plants right um that that start to provide predictable um uh power uh both in in supply and resiliency for communities um and to really incorporate them as uh, planning units within the overall grid of the future, right? And so we've been working very closely with utilities on that. We actually announced a partnership here just last month uh, with a, a host of of leading entities, you know, including some of the tech companies and uh, folks like Google alongside automobile companies like GM and Ford, alongside some of the distributed renewables players like SunPower and SunRun. And, you know, kind of, Are starting to navigate the complexities of how do you build up, you know, kind of uh, the business model, the regulatory structures, the approaches that allow these resources to all be integrated effectively in. And the curious thing was that after announcement there, we were, you know, kind of approached by multiple utilities that all wanted to participate as well and understand how they could collaborate and work within this ecosystem because they see it very much as. Uh, an unknown or or a, an area that they need to learn uh, in order to innovate and support what their customers are going to demand going forward,
0: right? Absolutely, it's very exciting. Uh, VP3, I think you guys are calling it. And, and I know it's early days for the initiative, but is there a level of confidence or enthusiasm around the scale that these solutions can come to market and the sort of impact that they can have? Um, You know, just, just for example, it seemed like they did have material impact um, last summer in California, although that was a, no, those were razor thin margins. And if, you know, maybe we were a degree or two hotter, maybe it wouldn't have been able to to suffice. Is there any kind of initial thought as to how these solutions can meet the moment of the day?
1: Yeah, I mean, as... Of course, RMI always starts with with framing the big opportunity. And and when we look at it, we see in the near term, right, by 2030, we could we could likely harness about 60 gigawatts of capacity out there that's just latent in the system right now, that could be used and dispatched to solve issues like what came up in California, right? And that that you know we could grow that potentially threefold by 2050. Right. So that's this is a sizable resource that's out there uh, that can and should be incorporated in. When we when we think about the specifics of California, right, it was indeed demand response and and, you know, kind of some of the DER calling there that absolutely made the difference and kept the California grid from crashing last September. Right. Um, And that's that's a good thing. It shows the power of when we when we can use air conditioners or EV chargers or or you know, uh, uh, air conditioners and automate or have some system for dispatching them, we can get a a significant response. In the same moment, right, I I think it's also clear that everyone who participated there, none of them got paid for it, right? And while utilities were getting paid, uh, you know, for supplying, there was a response and a service that was provided that wasn't properly, uh, you know, kind of compensated in the process. And we need to figure out how we incorporate right this, this large-scale resource into, um, into wholesale markets, right And that's part of the reform process that needs to happen here. Um, now RMI, as you know you mentioned blockchain, we've been working here for about six or seven years now on blockchain applications, uh, specifically using decentralized computing to run a decentralized grid. and we have a spin-out called the Energy Web Foundation, that actually ran uh, some of the the algorithms and, and approaches to identify customers in California that were called upon in that in that emergency. The interesting thing though is that that while it could have been automated, the the Cal ISO preferred not to automate it at this time, right? Preferred only to to protect information and to have the data double blinded and and you know kind of ensure that, that the resource could be accessed without violating privacy, rather than creating an automated system that could actually animate the market and provide this real-time exchange of value at the same time that it balances the grid. I think that is, that's something that's doable right now, where the technology exists. Great.
0: So just a couple more minutes here, uh, maybe we'll pull out, I know you and I are sitting here in the West, in the US, um, but you've had lots of experience in China or recently back from COP. Um, and RMI touches aspects um, of energy transition across the globe. I guess my question here would be um, with the the volatility in Europe um, and energy markets um, seeming to react somewhat violently to the news of the day, uh, is this more of the same? Should, should we be expecting this volatility uh, in the near term? Um, does it come along with with the, the energy transition that we're working through or is it, Um, somewhat a a reflection of of the geopolitics happening today. I know there's a lot to unpack there.
1: Yeah, I you know, this is where I'd pull us back a bit, Bryce, and just think about where we are in the energy transition. And and with any commodity, right, whether it be uh, the transition from horses to automobiles or the transition from gas streetlights to to electric streetlights, you know, you see this process of growth, right? Of of a peak and then a plateau that somewhat bounces around and then an imminent decline that happens. right And, and based on RMI's analysis that has now been validated by the EI or the, the IEA as well as uh, BP uh, two weeks ago, um, uh, you know we've seen that we actually peaked fossil fuel consumption here in 2019, right Globally as a planet, we peaked our overall fossil fuel use. Now, there are still different areas of the the world where there's still growth, but um, places like Europe peaked back in early 2000s, the United States peaked uh, in the late, uh, just before 2010, you know, and now we're seeing China very near the peak right now. Um, This this process, right, this process of chaotic, uh, markets globally, especially around oil and gas right now, is certainly being induced by the tragedy of Ukraine and what exactly has happened in that completely unjust war, right? Um, but but the response that we're seeing is indicative of this top level. We peaked and we're at a plateau where markets are trying to understand direction before the clear downward uh, uh um, you know slide. And what we know right now is that in total on the planet, we are adding more new energy through foss- or through renewables, through solar and wind right now and other forms of renewables, then we are growing load, right? Then we're growing demand overall. And so so that means that you know kind of that peak has come and it's only going to go faster as we add more and more capacity and supply. Um, so as we think about, you know, kind of the what IRA has done or the the Inflation Reduction Act, what repower Europe has done and their, their follow on work, what what hydrogen mission in India, what Japan's response, what all of these, you know, kind of responses to the immediate, um, uh, you know, kind of near term conflict in in Europe have resulted in is just uh, sped that decline faster down and ensured that the transition will happen. It will happen at pace and scale. And now markets are coming to terms with that in this last bout of volatility before, uh, you know, kind of the uh, stranded assets start um, uh, driving the decline even faster and make the financial returns uh, more
0: challenging. All right, two more questions and then we'll wrap. Um... You mentioned earlier the jobs that are inherently created um, along the energy transition. Um, I think you are probably citing some figures um, specific to renewables and efficiency, but but in general, um, the energy community is, is much in need of talent right now. Um, I, so I think my question would be, how can the collective we, how, how can those that are working around energy um, Bring the right um, diverse talent pool uh, that is needed for the job at hand right now.
1: Yeah, I would I would say one that that there is there is absolutely a real constraint right now on talent and capacity, um, uh, and there we need to build up you know kind of that capacity through all different forms of education and recruitment. Uh, I will say as well, though, that there's been an unexpected surge here in transitions from from folks who were, you know, kind of on the fossil fuel side of the business wanting to shift over and support the renewables uh, and the evolution of of sustainable energy. Um, You know, I I, Bloomberg coined the the phrase climate quitters, right, um, as being kind of emblematic of that. That there are those who are kind of quitting their jobs to join companies and organizations that are working to solve this crisis that we're in, um, uh, and we at RMI have certainly seen uh, many uh, transition over to support us in the process. And, and in that article that that Bloomberg called this out, uh, one of our own uh, leaders, Joe Daniel, was mentioned. Um, uh, you know who who worked originally for Baker Hughes and realized. That he could take the same policy knowledge that he was using in the oil and gas space and transition over to support you know kind of the the clean energy uh transition and that's you know that's one example i think there is um a significant opportunity here um uh but i'm most encouraged right now that we'll solve this by just the sheer volume of youth that are being engaged uh and that the demands that they have both to be involved, but also for their companies, you know, wherever they sign up to, to really support this energy transition and to, to acknowledge and respect, you know, kind of the requirement for sustainability as a real and motivating force for, uh, uh, um, for industry here going forward.
0: All right. So, our, our closing question is a big one. So, take it where you'd like. Um, our, our audience is mostly working around advancing the functionality of the grid by bringing modernization onto the system and, and scaling it. Um, so, I guess I'll, I'll close with what role does the grid itself, whether you want to talk macro or micro or something in between, um, transmission, distribution, take it wherever you'd like? Um, what role does the grid play in the larger um, scene of decarbonization, and more broadly, um, for the changing climate that we're that we're all working to deal with?
1: Yeah, I, the grid is the essential enabler of the energy transition. You know, I, I uh, the the prospect of coming into climate alignment can only be done if we can harness this immense, you know, kind of an incredibly low cost potential of renewables and if we're gonna be successful in doing that, we need to connect those renewables to to the end uses, right? To, to provide people with the, the warm showers and the cold beer that they need to, to ensure that, you know, kind of industries uh, have the energy that's required to produce all of the the construction material, you know, kind of uh, um, goods that, that we use and need as a planet. And so, uh, you know, kind of that, that essential role is, uh, um, you know, kind of one without which the energy transition simply can't happen. And if we don't speed, you know, kind of our support of the grid um, and its evolution uh, here, we're going to wind up falling short of our aspiration and our need to align, you know, ultimately, um, you know, kind of our real economy with the constraints of the planet and we can't afford that so we've got to build a stronger grid we've got to we've got to automate it and make use of all the resources out there and we've got to you know kind of ultimately find ways to get ourselves out of the way of some of the permitting and and citing issues and and speed the pathway toward uh again uh building the that grid that we so desperately want to need at this moment of crisis
0: well john thank you for the insights good luck on all the exciting and important endeavors and Look forward to collaborating ahead. Thanks, Bryce. Pleasure to join you here today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats. If you're interested in Grid Forward membership and our work to accelerate grid modernization and energy innovation, including the backlog of our podcast, visit us at gridforward.org. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app.